Charlottesville. It's Saturday morning, the sun is shining, and it's time for another show of Coming Home Well. For those of you who have just tuned in, you don't normally listen to the radio on Saturday morning, Coming Home Well is a 501c3, and we're based out of Charlottesville, Virginia, and our mission is to educate civilians about veterans' issues. And we cover the entire gamut of veterans' issues, ranging from disability benefits to traumatic brain injury research, to education. But today we're going to talk about employment. Uh, The employment rate is absolutely cratering, well, actually is skyrocketing because of the worldwide pandemic, the coronavirus. Since March to April, over 20 and a half million jobs have been lost, and the official unemployment rate rose to 14.7%. Now that's the highest that it's ever reached since the government began tracking in 1948 from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, the veteran unemployment rate is 11.8%, but that's not as bad as the general population. However, it's up from 3.8% last month. So from March to April, it's gone from 3.8% unemployment for veterans to 11.8%. Now, that's absolutely terrible because people need to feed their families and all the other things they need to do, like pay their rent, pay for their car, pay for gas, all these things that you need a job for. So we've asked Chadra Hardison. She's with RAND, which is a federally funded research and development corporation. And she sat down with us to help explain the soft skills, the non-technical skills that veterans bring. And they have developed something that's called the Prototype Toolkit for Helping Private Sector Employers Understand the Non-Technical Skills Developed in the Military. Now, I had her explain what that actually means. But what it really means in the too long, didn't read version is when you are in the military, you have all these skills that are non-technical, like showing up on time, being in the right uniform, looking right, being prepared. There's a lot of other skills that we actually develop in our veterans, but they're not as obvious and people have a hard time explaining them. So Ms. Hardison is going to come on the show and she's we're going to talk to her for a bit. But the most important thing is that as the person around the veteran, you can really help them explore and be able to describe all these non-technical soft skills that really make a difference between one person and another getting a job. So please join me in welcoming Ms. Chater Hardison, and I'll be right back. Welcome to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Tyler Piron, and today we have a very special guest, the lead author of What Veterans Bring to Civilian Workplaces, Chater Hardison with RAND. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. 
So I read this RAND report. It's like the many things that the government produces. It's really long. It's really in-depth, but it's pretty amazing. The subtitle is a prototype toolkit for helping private sector employers understand the non-technical skills developed in the military. Now, that's a, that's a big mouthful. What does that mean? Um, well, so the goal of our uh, of our study was to try to put together some materials that would help veterans to better explain some of the non-technical skills that they develop through the military that they may not even be aware of that they have, but that employers in the civilian uh, marketplace, um, private and, and um, public sector uh, jobs, that those skills are very, very valuable to that civilian um, employment market. And, and the veterans may not be, be thinking about those skills. They may not realize how much of the, um, how much of the training and uh, experiences that they have in their military uh, lives is relevant to that. And they also may not realize that in the civilian marketplace, many people don't get the same kinds of experiences and training opportunities that they've had. And so they really have an advantage in, in many ways in, in these areas. So when you say non-technical skills, you're not talking about the specific courses and training that the soldiers have taken, but the things they've done in their career as being a soldier or an airman or whatever service they're in, and the leadership and all the other soft skills that they've developed? Um, yes. Yeah, so, so I'm talking about both. I'm talking about when you think about how people develop skills um, in any work environment, they come in with existing um skill sets, abilities before they enter an employment setting. And, and everybody has different kinds of skills, different kinds of experiences, different kinds of abilities. And so they bring those with them to their employment setting. So uh, military personnel are bringing some of their past experiences, maybe their high school experiences or prior, prior jobs. They bring those uh, to, to the workplace. But then also, once they get into the military, the military uh, develops them in some very specific ways. They have some uh, extended training courses and education courses that they provide. Some of these training courses are common to everybody in the military um, or common to everybody in a particular service. So um, for example, everybody enters basic training at the beginning of their um, their military career. And uh, so, so they're all getting that common training experience. And during that time period, the military is trying to develop some of these non-technical skills. Um, and then following that, they go on to uh, to a particular job, and and those jobs are are you know varied. There are many different kinds of jobs that people hold in the military. Some of them are very sim- sim- uh, similar to civilian workplace jobs. Like for example, some people work in personnel, um, and some of them are very different, like combat jobs. But um, but they get through those on the job experiences some additional um, intensive development on the job either through getting placed into certain kinds of assignments, for example, leadership assignments, or, um, or through mentoring or other kinds of on-the-job training and development that goes on um, as just part of their, their natural career over the course of their, their time in the military. So it's all the other things besides the technical skills, like if you are a computer technician, you know everything about the computer side, but this is saying, hey, there's all these other skills that people in the military have developed as part of being a leader, part of being a follower, part of being a technical expert that are in addition to the technical skills. Right, exactly. And, and these are um, these are the kinds of skills that are common across 
uh, a wide variety of jobs in the military, and they're common across a wide variety of jobs in the civilian workplace as well. So critical thinking, for example, or as you you noted, leadership. Um, these are things that that look different in different technical jobs, but they really share a lot of the same kinds of underlying experiences and skills. So who was this report written for? Was it written for the soldier getting out after a, a first enlistment? Or is it really written for the HR department of some big company looking to try to hire military people, but not really understanding how the skill set mix would work for them? So both. So when we set out to do the study, um, there was an awareness that the veterans didn't necessarily naturally think about these things or really know how to communicate them. Even if they were thinking, well, I have leadership skills, they're not really, um, they don't have a good idea of how to bring those up to an employer um, in a way that would make sense to that employer. Um, So we were thinking about the veterans, but we were also thinking about the fact that employers as well Uh, just simply aren't familiar with the military jobs and giving uh, employers an opportunity to read up on what kinds of experiences people typically might have in the military that they are entirely unaware of. So the the study, um, the, the goal of the study was to gather information about the military training and the military on the job experiences um, that was done in a systematic way. And, and there's a lot of, you know, descriptions out there. You can search the internet that will show you, that will tell you about, you know, certain kinds of military jobs, but you don't really know whether or not that, that description is accurate and you, and it's not necessarily collected in a systematic way um, uh, from, you know, a lot of people rather than just a single anecdotal source. So our, our goal for this project was to try to gather some of this information in that more systematic way so that we knew that it was um, it was valid in that um, multiple people would agree with it, and multiple people were sharing the same kind of information. And we had gathered inputs from from many different personnel in these in these talk, uh, various occupations. So it it it, it provides something that's um, a little bit more quantified, a little bit more systematic, and um, and verified. And then once we gathered that information, then we created a tool that was targeted at the veteran. And then we also created a tool that was targeted at the employers. So we have both. A long answer to your short question. No, that's a fantastic answer. Thank you. Because that is sort of leading into my next question is one of the bi- the biggest and best things I saw, It's and it's right up front, is a, the taxonomy of the non-technical skill definitions that provides a definition for each of the type of skill sets that the military folks have that have a very hard time articulating uh, as opposed to just saying, well, I have leadership skills. And then the definition actually goes into directing people and projects. And then it talks about all the different types of things that they do under that directing people and projects uh, category. And that's a real important thing for veterans and for employers to really understand what that means, because there's obviously so much that's weighted into that necessary term, leadership. What does that mean? Uh, Because in the civilian world, it's entirely different. And in the military, it's, it's another whole set of directives as opposed to requests and how to deal with people, where people often think of the military as being very directive and shouting and it's like the movies as opposed to the reality that it's a much more of a nuanced leadership strategy. So the question is, how do you articulate to employers 
when they have this entire head full of how the military operates, and that's yelling and screaming and drill sergeants and the movie Platoon and all these other uh, media that they've absorbed over the years, and then how do you articulate to them what leadership is, what management is? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, when So as we set out uh, on this project, our goal was to help um, – help the communication between employers and, and veterans. And so one of the things that we set out to do, and you started to talk about this, was to try to identify um, skills or competencies. There's a lot of different synonyms for what these are called um, in, in the civilian world and also in the research world that studies organizational behavior in the workplace. Um, and the terms include knowledge, skills, abilities, uh, competencies, things like that. So there's a lot of synonyms for it, but but they're really all the same kind of general uh, concepts that we're talking about here. So leadership, you could call it leadership skills, you could call it a leadership competency. Um, but we went to um, a variety of sources out there that have been developed that are based on um, the civilian marketplace or or private sector jobs or public uh, public sector jobs and started there. So in creating our list of non-technical skills, we started with what do employers really want? What are the competencies that they're, that they're concerned with? And there's a lot of different sources out there. There's no one single list of competencies. There are many, many lists of competencies, but there's a huge amount of overlap in those. And so we pulled uh, from all of these different sources and um, they include things like the Department of Labor has some. Um, there's some that that are you know in the Department of Defense too. We we looked at the research literature that's out there. Um, the Department of Education has started to try to identify um, their own list of competencies, the 21st century skills, things like that. Um, National Research Council. So we went to all of those locations and started pulling. The different competencies they had, and there's a huge amount of overlap. Like I like I said, so things like leadership come up in all of these places, and communication skills, oral communication, written communication, things like that, handling stress in the workplace. There, there's there's commonalities, and we pulled the definitions from all of those places. So our so our starting point was what do employers um, value? What competencies do they value? Uh, that might be called soft. Some of them are soft skills, but we call them non-technical because some of them go beyond that. Like for example, writing. Um, and and so we started there, and then we took that list and we brought it to people in the military and and held focus groups and interviews with people in the military and said, "Can you tell us um, some of the experiences that you've had that?" are aligned with this definition of leadership, for example. And so that was part of how we were bridging the gap. So the vignettes where you went out and talked with people on these each of these on-the-job experience vignettes, as it's labeled in the report, you went to somebody and said, being dependable and reliable, can you give me an example of that? And then articulate it and use their own words and then explain how that is a demonstration of it? That's exactly right. And one of the interesting things that we found was that when we asked people to do that, um, a couple of things happened. Uh, they they described some, uh, you know, a story. They gave us a vignette. We had to um, sometimes pull it out of them. And and this is it's not unique to to military um, personnel, but you know, people have a lot of uh, a lot of difficulty coming up with really rich descriptive examples 
um, illustrating something. And so we spent some time um, asking them additional questions and, and, uh, and, and pulling out the story of, you know, so what happened? What was the scenario? What was the situation? And then, and then what happened? And what was the result? And, um, and in doing so, we got these, these fairly rich descriptions of actual, um, either, the, either themselves performing the, the, the skill or somebody else that they had seen performing the skill. But, it, but real examples of how these skills are utilized and, and, um, and practiced on the job in those settings. And, and we got a variety of those. When we went through and we gathered the ones that, um, that seemed like they would be um, more common across multiple um, different assignments, not something that was really you know, an obscure example, so that employers could get a sense for what might commonly occur. But the interesting thing was that people did struggle with coming up with these examples. So our hope was that in developing these materials was that veterans would be better able to, um, to read these examples and, and understand how they might come up with their own example from their own personal experience that illustrated it as well. I absolutely agree. It's very difficult to talk about some of these skill sets. Some are pretty easy, uh, things like training others. You could probably talk about things where you've trained other people. But, you know, oral communication and interpersonal skills, how do you demonstrate that you've excelled at that and that you've developed all those capabilities and skill sets and, and communicate it to an employer as opposed to just saying, well, I have excellent oral communication skills. And right. so some of these vignettes are very helpful in describing uh, those type of situations. Now, you are not from the military background, but you are work at RAND, and they deal a lot with the military. What was yep. the hardest part about doing a qualitative research like this with a military audience? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I've been doing research with the, uh, with the military at RAND for over 14 years now. Um, so I've got a lot of experience with with uh, interacting with military folks, but when I first started at Rand, I had um, I had really no experience, and it was it was really interesting because it was like learning a new language. You know, there's there's a million acronyms, um, but also really understanding uh, the culture and coming to understand what people do and and the different experiences and the different types of jobs that exist in the mil- military it was really eye opening for me because so much of it. Um, you know, you, you, you see movies about the military and so you have these stereotyped impressions about the jobs that they do and you don't realize how nuanced it is. And, and you also don't realize how much similarity there is, even though the, the actual technical work that they might be doing is very different, that, that the experiences that people are, 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 um, involved in have some really similar common features. And and an example is you'd mentioned the the oral communication. Um, in the military, people provide briefings to other military personnel all the time, and they call them briefings. But, you know, in, in corporate America, that would be, uh, you know, a PowerPoint presentation to, you know, a room full of people. And in the military, people are expected to stand up and speak in front of others. You're, you're placed into leadership positions, and those leadership positions, you're, you're overseeing more and more people over time as you progress through the military. And, um, and not everybody gets placed into leadership positions um, in every assignment, but some people have many assignments and some of their assignments, there's, you know, maybe a hundred people that are looking to them, um, depending on how far along they are in their career and which assignments and which type of job they have. But, you know, if they have a hundred people that they're addressing, that's uh, an, an opportunity for oral communication that most civilians don't get in their 
day-to-day jobs. And that's something that the military just naturally, you know, the experience is that naturally you're, you're forced to do it, but they also actively train you to do it. So they give you tips on how to, you know, speak, how to put together, you know, PowerPoint slides and things like that. So. No, that's an absolutely um, excellent example of some of the soft skills, critical skills that the military has that we've ingrained in people on how to brief, how to get in front of a, a group, an audience or senior people that in the civilian world, that just rarely doesn't happen or is very specialized people that do it, such as trainers or briefers or mm-hmm. things like that. Right. One of the things that I thought was most interesting uh, was the discussion about continuous learning. In the military, every year, and I, I work for the government, and I have mandatory training that I do. It's about 30 different things a year that I must do in order to have accounts on computer networks to making sure I don't take a bribe. But that's something that is so ingrained in the military culture. Is that something that you find that the civilian employers sometimes do, sometimes don't? Does it depend on the size of the employer? You know, I, I think that that varies from employer to employer. There are certainly training programs that are that are mandated by law. Um, you know, there's various kinds of you know sexual harassment training and diversity training and things like that that, that employers have. But I, uh, but there's not a lot of consistent across all employees um, training development programs, and certainly not um, as extended as the military's uh, training and development programs go. But there are um, there are occasional requirements that employers might have to give people uh, additional you know additional training modules that come up throughout their experience. But that's going to be unique to each employer, and then also mandated by whatever you know state regulations there may be, or or any other kinds of um, requirements. But to your point about the continuous uh, learning. One of the things that's interesting about the military is that the military does expect uh, their service members to continue to um, to work on their own education. And so many people are on the side, pursue, you know, if they don't have a, a, a college degree yet, many people are, are pursuing um, taking some additional courses. And um, some of those courses may relate to their jobs. Some of those courses may just be to better themselves um, or to work towards a, a, an associate's degree or, or a college degree down the road. Um, some people are working, you know, who have college degrees are working on master's degrees. And um, so there's this, this culture that encourages people to continue development. And then there's also in some certain occupations, um, an expectation that you would continue to re- read materials or search the web or try to find, um, try to find additional, uh, education, um, that would be related to your technical job. And so there's an expectation that people do that. Now I will point out that with everything that we've described in our, in our materials, there's variability in, in, um, in whether or not somebody would have fully developed these kinds of skills or how, how developed they are, how good they are at leadership. And, and then all comes down to their individual experience. So um, when I'm talking about continuous learning, there are some people who latch onto that and really, you know, run with it in the military. And then there are people who do a little bit less. Um, and there are some, some career fields or occupational specialties that, that, uh, you know, important and, and, you know, there's people doing a lot of additional 
work in their free time, um, you know, after after hours, and and then other uh, career fields less so. But it is interesting that this is something that's uh, that's strongly encouraged in in the military, and it's not necessarily something that employers expect of their of their employees outside of the military. Chaitra Hardison, thank you so much for joining Coming Home Well as the lead author of What Veterans Bring to Civilian Workplaces. I really want to thank you for all of Coming Home Well for coming on on the radio today and talking about this incredibly important report that both veterans and employers can reference in order to make sure that there's an excellent skill set matchup, both the technical skills, which the employer already know, but the non-technical skills that the employers should know. And veterans have a hard time articulating and explaining that they have these skills. Thank Thank you you so much. We really hope that this interview with Dr. Hardison was helpful in explaining some of the challenges that veterans have as they return home from war, as they're transitioning back to the civilian community and explaining some of the soft skills, the things that they've developed as a person in the military. Now, if you're interested in learning more, you can always go and listen to the podcast version, which is actually much longer. And we talk with Dr. Hardison and get in a little more detail about how you as a civilian can help the veterans in your life sort of explain some of the military experience that they've developed. And as a reminder, just to change gears for a moment, we also do a Facebook Live every Wednesday. This week, we talked with Dr. Werner. He's a physician who specializes in sleep disorders and the link with TBI and sleep disorders. It was quite fascinating, and sleep disorders are one of the most prominent symptoms of TBIs. So go check out the Facebook page, Coming Home Well. And to all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well. Coming Home Well. Helping civilians better help veterans. Every Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m. on Seville 107.5 FM and 1260 a.m. WCHV. Oh, baby, baby.